Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the second episode of The Snyder Cut. I am your host, Jeff Snyder, and joining me today, my very special guest is the head of Collider, the big boss man, Mark Fernandez. What up? Thank you uh, for coming in. Very last second, by the way. I was prepared to do the show uh, without a guest, just me, just talking to you guys. But Fernandez was nice enough uh, to come on, so I appreciate it. I'm happy to come on. I'm happy that that this podcast exists, and I want to see it last for a long time. Uh, Yes, here, here, here. Uh, I hope so as well. (laughs) And thank you for allowing me to do this uh, in the first place, because I know I, I was annoying you and bugging you to do it for a while. Yeah. Um, so let's start with uh, today's news. Mm-hmm. Guillermo del Toro has a new movie. It's a remake of Nightmare Alley. Or it's not exactly a remake. It's a new adaptation of the book. Did you ever see the original Nightmare Alley? No. Do you know anything about what it's about? I do not. It's kind of about like this con man who, who's like in this traveling circus and he sees this woman, Madame, Mademoiselle Zina, and she has like this mind reading act. And he's like, he's trying to figure out how she's reading these people's minds. And eventually they end up teaming up to con people. And then he, he gets too big for his own good and, gotcha. and sort of strikes out on his own. So, uh, so what so, year? This is, I think it's 1947. Oh, wow. The book was 46. Yeah, it's like an old Tyrone Powell Power or whatever uh, movie. Anyways, um, so today, Kate Blanchett is joining the cast, Rooney Mara, Michael Shannon, uh, Richard Jenkins from from, uh, The Shape of Water, obviously, Ron Perlman, who was Hellboy for for Del Toro. You have a controversial stance on on Del Toro's uh, The Shape of Water because to me, I was like, there's no way any of these people are going to turn down Guillermo when he's at the peak of his powers coming off a Best Picture win for The Shape of Water. But you weren't a fan. Why is that? So two things. First of all, you you missed Bradley Cooper on that announcement, right? Yeah, yeah. He's the star. I mean, he's not not the news, but yes, Bradley Cooper is the lead in this movie. Which which is great. Replacing Leo. So look, uh, uh, oh, he was replacing Leo. Leo was the first choice, but I, I think that his deal kind of got uh, leaked prematurely, and it ended up uh, messing things up. So yeah, Bradley came in. Oh, wow. Interesting. He's a better fit, I the think. The plot thickens. I think he's a better fit. Um, look, I love Bradley Cooper, so when I because because I saw your announcement on this, and um, when I heard that Bradley Cooper was involved, I got interested because I think Bradley Cooper is a special actor who's about to hit that next level of the Brad Pitt and the Leos and stuff like that. I really like Bradley Cooper. So Bradley Cooper would be in Enough for me to go buy a ticket sure. to this movie. Now, I do not love Guillermo del Toro's films as much as everybody else does, um, and it's just my own personal opinion. You know, I, I think The Shape of Water was um, a sludge to get through. Personally, mm-hmm. I didn't like The Shape of Water at all. Um, I loved Michael Shannon in it. I thought Michael Shannon was the best part of that movie. Um, I didn't, you know, the the love story and the egg dropping and all that stuff. <laughs> it didn't it didn't hit me the way it hit everybody else. Um, and uh, even though the the father from Ameri- uh, from uh, one of my favorite TV shows of all time, Six Feet Under, has a huge uh, part in that movie, and I was excited to see him, and I thought he did a good job. I don't get excited about Guillermo del Toro movies like everybody else does, even though he's he's a Hispanic like I am, which I fully support. The, you know the whole Hispanic mafia of him and Aratu and uh, Corone. 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 Yep. Um, I mean, these are the like the best filmmakers out there right now, right? I mean, these guys but, are killing. I think it. they've won three of the last four Best Director Oscars it's, or something like that. It's incredible, but um, I do love horror as a genre, um, so I get excited. But then I. It was just a bridge too far for you, the fishman romance. Is that it? It's just like the whole look. And I'm a student of magical realism. Like, I'm into the magical realism thing. So I get the genre. I get the aesthetic. Just to me, it didn't land in, in Shape of Water because of the pacing. So am I excited about this movie? Eh. I mean, I'm excited to see Bradley Cooper in anything. I like the premise. It's got some twists and turns. I agree with you. I don't worship Guillermo like some other folks. Uh, I, I think that he is best working in, in his native language. Mm-hmm. I like his Spanish language stuff. Like you know, Pacific Rim that that's not up my alley. Mm. Uh, Blade Two is, is whatever to me. Um, so you know, I, I don't love him either. But I did. I really did like The Shape of Water. I thought that movie had a lot of heart. I thought it was kind of uh, beautiful in a way, a beautiful fable. And so I am looking forward to this. And and the idea of him working with someone like Rooney Mara. I like Tony Collette, who's hot off uh, Hereditary. I hope that the Michael Shannon thing works out. I think he's about to sign on to a big TV series. So I don't know if scheduling will love, allow for it. I love Tony Collette. Um, I saw Tony Collette. 
five times do the realistic Joneses on Broadway. Mm-hmm. Um, she did an incredible, incredible job. Um, yeah, Tony Collette's a, a real talent. I still haven't seen uh, the the uh, um, Hereditary movie. Oh, you should. I mean, you should see that. I, I liked yeah. it better than Mid Midsummer. Did you see that one? I did not see that one, but is that also a horror? Yeah, yeah, they're both uh, Ari Aster A twenty four movies. Yeah, but yeah. I, I preferred Hereditary. Yeah. Um, so yeah, okay. Del, Del Toro lining up an A list cast. I, I think that he's going to end up getting most, if not all, of these names that we reported today. I think it's you know it's a little bit early because the movie doesn't shoot until early twenty twenty. We'll see if Rooney Mara can maybe squeeze in something uh, before then. Potentially a new David Fincher project. I mean, David loves her after working with her on Social Network and the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. But, but look, there's something on my mind. What? Okay, and because um, I know you're a scoop guy, and I, but but I know this isn't your kind of news. Is it true that? Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga are dating now? Oh, wow. I mean, it's hard to take the show there. I don't but... think so. Didn't Wasn't she just photographed kissing some member, of, like some guy that she works with, in, like in an effort to, to, to <laughs> squash those rumors? <laughs> God, why am I so up on this? Um, but look, first of all, it would be a beautiful couple because I did like that movie. Uh, oh, I loved it. It was my favorite movie last year. They yeah, had great yeah. chemistry together. I just didn't know if, like, you know, is is it all for the cameras? Right. You know, is it all for that Oscar narrative? But supposedly, I keep hearing that Bradley Cooper played the long game, and that and that now they're actually dating, and they were going to move in together or something. But I did hear that she kissed her stage hand or her dancing instructor or something like that. But I mean, Lady Gaga probably gives out kisses all over the place in a kind of friendly way, you know, kiss on the lips type of thing, you know. But like some people in the office here, when they say hello, they'll kiss on the lips. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> you know, we we share a therapist, Lady Gaga and oh, I. Do you really? Yeah. Oh wow. Okay, so maybe you should ask her. Maybe have her. I'll see if I bump into her in the waiting room. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's the source. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, let's move on. Sure. I mentioned this one beforehand. Uh, Luca Guadagnino directing a Lord of the Flies uh, reboot, remake, whatever it is, a new adaptation. And it's going to be an all-female cast. Mm. I I like it. I can see it. What do you think about that? Um, I can definitely see it um, because it makes sense. Um, now, when you say adapting it, are they sticking to Golding's uh, novel where it's stranded on an island? Or is it like a modern-day adaptation like stranded in like a private high school or like a mean – because mean girls and it's stuff a, like that. That's the thing. I, I don't know rings, what the right? take is going to be. I mean – I, I, I would imagine it would have to be some kind of an island. Uh, I, he's, a, he's a kind of impressionistic filmmaker. I really liked Call Me By Your Name, did not really care for Suspiria. Did you see the Suspiria remake? I mean, I've, I mean, I've, you know, the original by very divisive. Diario Argento, or if I'm saying the name wrong, but um, is one of my favorite horror movies that I saw when I was in film school. So I've only seen the original of okay. Suspiria. I never saw the follow-up. Um, so, so is this kind of his thing? He's kind of like reboots movies? This is kind of like his... Uh, well, I know he, he sort of struggled to get this movie Blood on, on the Tracks off the ground. Uh, okay. he, he has a great cast lined up, but I feel like the date keeps pushing on that one. I think Tom Holland is one of the people who had been circling that. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'm just curious who he's going to cast and, and how old these girls are going to be. Are they going to be, you know, younger, 12, 15, 18, or are they going to be like a bunch of mid-20s and, and we're going to have like a big A-list cast? Yeah, because um, the the Lord of the... The Fly's story is a story that typically, um, in terms of like high school curriculum, you get it at the earlier stage of high school, ninth grade, tenth grade, and, and, and like the moral of the story is what happens when you bring people together, um, the conflict and you know the vying for power and the lack of morality that comes, you know, the ends justifies the means, and it has, I mean, it, it's really a you know like a very very intense teaching tool. Mm-hmm. I, I think when you know when you're young. So adapting that story to modern day and having it be relevant to the audience that it's intended to because the original Lord of the Rings, the novel and like, you know, the earlier film, I forget which one, but it's the one that we always saw in compendium to the book. It's kids. I mean, we're talking prepubescent kids, 12 years old, you know, 11 years old. They're, they're, they're kids when left alone pick up the same traits that the adults do of basically wanting to kill each other. You mm-hmm. know, So to really create an adaptation of it, you got to make it relevant to the audience that you're intending to target, which would be young females, I'm assuming. Right. So is it going to read – if you throw a bunch of girls on an island stranded off a plane crash or a boat crash or whatever it was, or do you have to literally um, adapt it? You know, so I, I imagine they'll be taking some liberties with the source material and yeah. sort of putting their own spin on it. If I had to guess, um, 
I, I, it's like I, I just like the idea of of this this group of women. You know, I feel like when, when women are in groups, sometimes it's tough. You know, they, uh, there's look, some, there's some infighting. I wonder if someone's going to be named Piggy, though. That that seems a little harsh for me. Look, I think Heather's, I think uh, Mean Girls, I think a lot of these stories are basically taking the Lord of the Rings DNA and creating modern day versions of it. You know, um, so is that what it's going to be? I mean, because I can't imagine. I mean, do you think it's going to take place on an island in the traditional head on a you know pig pig on a spike type of thing? Uh, yeah, I would I would assume so. I think that that's what makes it interesting is having one of those exotic cinematic locations. Right, and right, I can see right. Luca doing a great job with that. Fair enough. Um, there's this movie John Lee Hancock's putting together called The Little Things, and mm. it's with Denzel Washington and Rami Malek, and they are uh, detectives in Kern County on the trail of a serial killer. Oh, I love it we just already. got news that that serial killer is going to be played by Jared Leto. Oh, man. What do you think of him? Uh, uh, can you picture him as a serial killer? First of all, that sounds like sign me up for that movie tomorrow. I mean, that sounds great, man. Yeah, that's three three Oscar winners, Denzel, Rami Malek, Jared Leto. Yeah. That's that's a lot of uh, prestige in front of the camera. Did you ever see this movie Switchback? No. It was with Dennis Quaid and Danny Glover in like the late 90s. It was a no. serial killer thing. No. Okay. Jared Leto was in that, and they sort of lead you to believe he is a serial killer the whole time. But I wrote about this news the other day for Collider, and I just I, – I, I love the idea of Jared Leto as a serial killer. He has this darkness about him. guy played Mark David Chapman, for Christ's sake. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a, all of his best movies are really dark, like Requiem for a Dream and Fight Club and Panic Room. Like, yeah. what, what, do you, what do you make of his – like, could you – what kind of serial killer could you see him being, you know? I think oh – man, I think he'd be great because he's got a little bit of that Science of the Lambs potential and drive anything going for him that oh, can, yeah. you know that you can have a little fun with. I think Jared Leto's a great actor. Um uh, Denzel did that one serial killer movie Fallen. Uh, Fallen was it a bone something or uh, Oh the Bone Collector, yes, yes. Yeah, no, yeah, the Bone yeah. Collector is one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah, but that was Denzel, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I thought that was really cool. I mean um and Rami Malik, so they're like the two detectives. Yeah, and and Rami Malik sort of has a nose for the little things, I think. Right. Rami Malik turns out to be the killer. <laughs> <laughs> Because he really should be the one playing the serial killer. He, he does have those serial killer eyes. Yeah. I don't know. One of them has like a nose for the little things and one of them like is a buy the book thing. I don't know if, if it's Denzel who, ha- who has that nose. But I don't know. I, I just like the idea of these three guys pairing up for a big Warner Absolutely. Brothers. Like a mid-budget thriller. The kind that they don't make anymore. I love those kind of movies. Yeah. I love those kind of movies. Okay. Here's a story I definitely wanted to talk about yeah, with yeah. you. Yeah. This week after 52 years on the lot. Robert Evans parted ways with Paramount. Uh, He kind of thought he was going to have a lifetime deal there, according to The Hollywood Reporter. And, you know, instead they're like, listen, you haven't made a movie since, you know, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days back in like 2002 or 2003. You've been here for 15 years with nothing to show for it. So, like, what what is his legacy on on that lot? He did Chinatown, Rosemary's Baby, so many great ones. The Godfather. Yeah, what are you going to remember Robert Evans I mean, Robert Evans... Is first of all, um, if anybody hasn't already seen the kid stays in the picture, it is possibly, I'd say you can argue that it's top five documentary ever made, in my opinion. Oh wow, those are those are fighting words. I, uh, for documentaries, I think the kid stays in the picture is in the conversation. It, it is very good. Yeah, yeah. Um, Robert Evans is a Hollywood legend, um, but and this is going to sound extremely ignorant, but when you mentioned this story to me. I had already put Robert Evans <laughs> right. out to pasture 15 years ago. You didn't know he was still there. Matt, I, mean, I didn't even know he was alive, which is, <laughs> which is a horrible, horrible thing to admit to, but it's the truth. Robert Evans is a friggin' – I mean he's up there in my opinion with Saul Sance, with George Lucas, um, with um, you know, you know, I'm trying to think of some of the other great producers of our time. But like I mean he, he's big time. You know, He's big time and, and – you know, Paramount Pictures saying enough with you. Um, I mean, he hadn't done anything for 15 years. Was he just collecting a paycheck? And yeah, just exactly. Had a he, he, he just has the overall deal. They pay for his, his overhead. They cover a development executive and an assistant. But, you know, for the most part, the guy's been working out of his home uh, for I mean, the last few years. How old is he? Like, 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 no disrespect, but how old is he? I think he's like 89 years old or yeah, something I mean, like look, that. It's, the time has come, you know? I mean, you know. I mean, some guys are, you know, that age and they're Clint Eastwood and, and they can make a movie in like four or five months. And, like, you know, Clint Eastwood's just amazing. But yeah, I think Robert Dev- Evans has obviously slowed down in, in, in recent years. But you know, help build that studio for sure. Oh, oh without a doubt, without a doubt. Is um, is uh, um, was he the producer of record on The Godfather Part Three? 
I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah, me either. I think he may have been like an executive around that time. Uh, he may have had some – I think it said like an uncredited executive producer credit on that. I, yeah. don't, I don't understand it. I mean this this is a Hollywood um, you know, uh, a mogul. I mean this is – you know, he's the real guy. He's like – I mean he's a legend. You know, Robert Evans, you say that name and like you see the Hollywood He got his parties. own cartoon. Yeah. Kid, I mean, Kid Notorious. Oh, really? I remember that thing. You ever yeah. see, you never saw no, that? I never saw oh, that. Okay. I mean, you see the sunglasses and the Hollywood like you know uh, light. I mean, the guy is a badass. He's a badass. Um, yeah, Robert Evans. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if he, if he can you know succeed as an independent producer without without a deal. I imagine we've I probably mean, seen his last try? picture. Yeah, that that that's sort of the thing. Um, but we can move on to an, a property that I I don't understand. Uh, it may make a little bit more sense to you. Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. So uh, Goldstein and Daly, uh, Jonathan Goldstein and John Francis Daly, who just did Game Night, they were going to do the Flash movie. They got bumped off the Flash. Warner Brothers offered them another big movie that they have in Dungeons and Dragons. What like? Who cares about Dungeons and Dragons? Who is still playing Dungeons and Dragons, <laughs> given um, all the entertainment options that there are out there? I know that these people exist. Yeah, but look, I, I mean, look with with Star Wars taking a beating um, in the fandom in the last. You know, ever since the Last Jedi came out, with Marvel having just so much saturation on the market that there has to be fatigue at some point. It's it's just inevitable. It's just the way that the patterns work. Um, it creates, I think, a potential opportunity for one of these other rights holders that has this like long-standing IP to try to make a move. Now, you also have Game of Thrones going away, leaving a void there. Um, you have Marvel getting potentially a little bit saturated. You have Star Wars kind of like not having its footing. If I owned the Dungeons and Dragons uh, brand, I'd be trying to develop it into, into a movie. So I see that there's opportunity to give Dungeons and Dragons a little bit of a facelift, uh, to make it a little bit more, um, you know, uh, gory or a little bit more, uh, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's like, like, like something a little bit more, you know, ballsy. You know, just to use a horrible word, um, and, and and try to give it a facelift. You know, it's kind of like. Um, when I was watching Once Upon, Upon a Time in Hollywood, I saw a preview for the new Charlie's Angels, mm -hmm. you know? And there's like, you know, this new sheen that Hollywood movies have nowadays that has really, you know, it's really um, unique to this time period of movie making where people have learned how to make movies a little bit better than like in the, you know, early aughts or in the late 90s where you can really miss on a movie. Yes. People have gotten better at making movies mm -hmm. as a whole. And I can see them putting some real talent behind Dungeons and Dragons, and maybe coming up with a good story. There's a lot of source material. There's a lot of like the, these big actors, like uh, Joe Manganiello, Dave Bautista. They're they're like closet, or not even closet. They're big Dungeons and Dragons yeah, yeah, fans. Yeah. I mean, Manganiello's been in here, right? Talking about it, like 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 pumping uh, Dungeons and Dragons, right? Yeah. So, know. like, I think that there maybe are these sort of pockets in in L.A. where this game is still popular. I never played it. I, I didn't, you know, I, I didn't know anyone bit. who grew up playing it. I played it. A did little you have? Bit. A, did, did little Mark Fernandez have a twelve sided die or twenty sided die, whatever the hell it is? I I did have the die, and I did enjoy being the dungeon master because look, uh, like like as a little kid, it was a game built to promote like imagination. You know, I mean, you're basically playing everything inside your head. You're constructing these narratives inside your head with this, you know, um, sort of scaffolding that the D&D game gives you. It's actually a really, really cool creative exercise if you're young. I don't know how that brand is going to translate to the big screen. But, you know, to be honest with you, I'd be rooting for it. Okay. Um, well, again, I think it's going to be interesting. Like, I, I like uh, Goldstein and Daly. I think they did a great job with Game Night. And if they could bring that kind of loose, energetic sensibility that they have, Dungeons & Dragons may be worth watching. But uh, I, I don't know. I've seen this project have so many, like, stops and starts over the years. Right. It'll be interesting to see if it ever gets off the ground. Speaking of things I'm not sure uh, of, of whether they're real or not, there was a tweet the other day by Kyle Buchanan, who is the carpetbagger for the New York Times, obviously a well-connected guy who is talking to a lot of Hollywood stuff down all the time. He said that he's hearing that Quentin Tarantino is going to do a sort of extended of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and chop it up into episodes just like he did The Hateful Eight and that that would appear on Netflix and that he may – he's been telling the actors he may put uh, some of their cut scenes 
back into this. You saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. What did you think of the movie? What do you think of Quentin adding another, you know, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes into this extended cut that would be episodic in nature? What do you think about that kind of stuff? Um, so I love the movie. I thought the movie was awesome. Um, it's, it's not – I think when you look at Quentin's body of work, it is so good that for me, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood falls towards the back half of his body of work. Because, you know, for me, I got Pulp Fiction 1 and Glorious Bastards 2 and then Kill Bill and then um, Reservoir Dogs and, and stuff like that. So to me, it's, a, you know, it's in the bottom five. But I thought the movie was wonderful. And uh, you said something very, very right on the money when you and I talked about it before where it's like you could have stayed in there 15 hours watching those characters yes. on the screen. And I feel the same exact way. Um, so anything that gives me more of those characters, I'm all in for. I am a huge Hateful Eight fan, which I know a lot of people aren't. To me, the Hateful Eight is in the top five. Oh, I th- wow. Okay. I think I have it in my top five um, you know, of, of Tarantino movies. I love the Hateful Eight. I thought it was great. But I have not seen the Netflix um, episodic thing. Right, that version. Yeah. I, I watched it. I don't think I watched it the whole way through. I was kind of fast-forwarding to see what was new. I didn't really – I couldn't even tell, to be honest. I don't yeah. know how many minutes he added. But what do you think about this? Is this trend of repackaging and repurposing content a good thing? Because I kind of want – question. I want filmmakers to come out and say – and particularly someone like Tarantino who has Final Cut. Like there's no director's cut of this movie coming because he – this is the director's yeah, cut. Yeah, it's you interesting. Know? It's interesting. So, like – you know, I just want that to speak for itself rather than, well, you may get this movie w- w- again in a couple years in a different format with a little bit more in it. Like, I don't know. It, it I feels mean, with, weird. With Tarantino, you know, he actually not with, you know, not with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I guess, spoiler warning, but he always breaks down his movies into chapters. You know, he's always got that right. chapter paradigm. I thought the chapters would have helped Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and given it a little bit of structure, but go on. Yeah. So it's like, it makes sense. That you can split out his films, you know they have that kind of like signature nonlinear quality to it. So you can you can see how you can split out a Pulp Fiction, a Hateful Eight, a Kill Bill, right. into episodic mm-hmm. you know television. With with Once Upon a Time, I find it a little bit more difficult yes. because it seems like it has more of like a you know three act structure than his kind of like unusual like five act structure right. that he throws out. Yeah, I, 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 it feels weird to me. I mean, listen, it would be cool to see some of these people who got cut. It'd be cool to see Tim Roth playing Jay Sebring's yeah. Butler. It, but, it still feels like a deleted scene to me that they're just calling a TV show. But, but, but one, one thing to throw out there: um, there's a movie that I keep thinking about that I would love to see as a television show. The same exact movie, just recut. Shortcuts by Robert oh, Altman. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, the The Last Emperor by Bernardo Bertolucci. It's like a massive, massive movie. Mm-hmm. I can see that being cut out. So maybe Quentin's trying to start some kind of trend where, like, these longer, you know, opuses, the Ben Hur, more epic films, yeah, yeah, you know, get the sort of television treatment. Um, but look, maybe the television Netflix thing is the new director's cut, right? I mean, yeah, no, that that is interesting. Yeah, um, there was this other thing uh, that came out this week that ter- that Leo's character, Rick Dalton has undiagnosed bipolar disease. Did you see this? This is like one of the this is part of his backstory. Did you pick up on that at all in this movie? So, I think I actually heard Leo and and Quentin talking about this. Um I've been consuming as much media as I can about it. So, I saw the 30-minute uh con uh press conference where um um the lady goes after um, Quentin saying that um, that you know he minimized uh, Margot Robbie's role. Mm-hmm. You know there was a little bit of tension on yeah, stage. Yeah, yeah. Um, I saw the Vanity Fair uh, roundtable. Uh, I saw the MTV interview, and I believe those. Uh, oh, and there was another one. There was um, a EW interview as well. Um, and I think I heard them talking about it somewhere in there. But um, it just seems to me that you know. Like that character didn't seem to me obviously bipolar. He just seemed to me like a guy who had some talent, reached a kind of a plateau and was struggling with his ability to grow past it. You know, I mean, this is a reality that we all face. I mean, I face it every friggin day. It's like I worked on Grand Theft Auto Vice City when I was 24 years old. Mm -hmm. You know, I've never been able to do anything as meaningful as that. Again, and I'm 43 now. You know, I struggle with that shit too. 
And like you can see that like no matter how famous or popular you are, I have plenty of famous actor friends that all struggle with that as well when you're having dinner with them. Like, right. oh, man, like, what am I doing? Like, my life sucks, and, like, I, I can't get a fucking role. It's like, look at this. They're giving me $5,000 offers to be in a movie for 10 minutes. Like, what the fuck is going on with my life? <laughs> this is a real thing that everybody kind of goes through a little you're right. bit, you know? Um, even sport, like, like athletes. So to me, that was the beauty of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is that you had – this dude going through this midlife crisis, and then you had his best friend who was unconditionally there for him no matter what, to mm-hmm. pump him up. You know? And there was a line in the movie where um, I believe it's, it's Margaret Qualley says the line where it's like being a stuntman is so much better than being an actor because the actor is fake while the stuntman has to do the They really live real. it. Yeah. yeah. And like, to me, that was like, I don't know, man. I fucking like this movie. Yeah, well, listen. I thought it was I thought it was very good, and 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 I loved the movie up until that ending that I just couldn't get on board for, as I said last week. Um, but but the, those themes, I think that they're some of the deepest themes Tarantino has has played with. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, dude, I hope that his whole ten movie thing is bullshit because, like, as long as that man can think and walk and move and be able, he should be making movies. Yes, but it's like, have you have you ever sat down and read a Tarantino screenplay? Because that can be like an event on its own, you know. Like if mm. he did just become a novelist, like he's threatened to do, or oh, a playwright. Has he? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He wouldn't just stop being creative if after his tenth film, he said he wanted to create books and plays and things like that. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think that would be really cool. Um, let's transition to this Adrian Lin movie. Okay. Okay, Deep Water. This is a project that has been around for God knows how long. Uh, I think Adrian Lin's trying to get this off the ground for like the last six or seven years. Uh, news this week that Ben Affleck and Anna de Armas, who's from Blade Runner 2049, okay. and she's going to be in Knives Out and Bond 25. She's blowing up. Her and Affleck are going to be in this movie about this married couple who, who they're kind of stuck in this loveless marriage. And they decide to like play mind games with each other. And they each take lovers. And things get out of hand. It gets messy. People start dying around them. Adrian <laughs> Lin. Uh, he has done nine and a half weeks in decent proposal, fatal attraction, yeah, unfaithful. Yeah, like where do you, where do you stand on him coming back after a seventeen year absence? Hasn't directed a movie since two thousand two. Um, it's kind of like the way I felt when Terrence Malick came back. Um, like I loved the Thin uh, Red Line. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a great comeback for Malick after having only done three movies. But pretty much everything after that, I haven't been on board with as much. I think Sidney LeMay also had like one of these big gaps and then tried to come back much older. Um, Adrian Lin, to me, is like the epitome of that 90s psycho thriller type of flick. You know, like Nine and a Half Weeks, Fatal Attraction, stuff like that. Yep. Um, man, it's, it's, it's 2019. You know, but, the, but so you but, don't know if this kind of this erotic thriller, as it's described, <laughs> will, will fly or because Amazon sort of banking. This isn't an Amazon oh. project, but Amazon wants to get into that space and bring back that sort of sexy 90s store because audiences are uh, watching so much more entertainment at home in their living room. Right. The basic instinct thing. And, right. And uh, yeah, look, Adrian Lin is a serious filmmaker, man. Like um, if if I get a screening invite and we all go, I'll go check it out. I mean. You know why not? Affleck sort of uh, had has sort of uh, Affleck's a big in, selling point. Affleck's he, a big selling absolutely, point. and he's played in this territory before with Gone Girl, which is also like the psychosexual thriller and, which I and was mind great. games. Yeah, I'm a big uh, Gone Girl fan. So Ana de Armas, though, she is really up and coming. She's about to begin filming Blonde, which is a Marilyn Monroe movie for Netflix. Mm. We broke that story here at Collider. Uh, she's got a couple new co-stars this week as well, and Bobby Cannavale, who's going to be playing Joe DiMaggio. Mm. And Adrian Brody is Arthur Miller. Ooh. Yeah, I, I like that. Those, good I mean, those are good Hasn't Adrian Brody also played another famous writer in the past? He's kind of got that... <laughs> that writerly look. Oh, no, no. You know what? I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of King Kong, where he plays the, the, uh, the writer of the script. In, in Peter oh, Jackson's okay, King okay. Kong, but anyway. <laughs> um, right when, by the way, right after uh, last week's episode, when we wrapped, there, the news broke that there's a short list of directors for Venom 2. Did you see Venom? I did see Venom. Where did you fall on that one? So I thought I was going to hate it, okay? Um, and there was things about it that I thought were ridiculous. Um, the bad guy's terrible. But, man, do I love Tom Hardy. He's a great actor, man. Tom Hardy's a great actor, and he can bring you with him on his little journey no matter what that journey is. I, I still think him not winning the Revenant Oscar is, a, is, is <laughs> criminal because mm-hmm. he was the best part about that movie hands down. Yeah, and he I was love, amazing. And I love Leo. 
Um, I'm down to see Tom Hardy back in whatever role, and I, and I don't mind the whole Venom thing. Um, I thought the movie was okay, um, and I heard that are, you are, know. Are you excited to have Woody Harrelson as Carnage? Because that's sort of what the end of Venom promised, right? Yeah. Yeah, why not? Uh, so, so the directors that they're looking at are Travis Knight, Andy Serkis, and Rupert Wyatt. Uh, wow. I don't know if there's a front runner among them. Is those there any any directors. of those three guys that you would like to see tackle Venom too? Probably Travis Knight. I I think Travis Knight would be the best hire. He is probably the the busiest. Uh, he's got six billion dollar man that Mark Wahlberg movie at Warner Brothers, and and I think he may be doing that Bermuda Triangle uh, movie that Ryan Reynolds had been circling at Skydance. But uh, Travis Knight, I think, hot off Bumblebee would be the best yeah. suited for Venom. Yeah. Andy Serkis seems like. I don't know, like a bit of a stretch. I mean, I I liked his Jungle Book movie or whatever it was called, Mogwai. People didn't, didn't really didn't respond it, to didn't it. See it, but yeah, I mean, look, Bumblebee. I thought Bumblebee was great. You know, like I think Bumblebee is the best of these new Transformers movies because mm-hmm. uh, I mean they're all at it a certain heart. level. You know, it had a lot of heart. Um, I thought he did a great job with the lead actor. Um, you know, um, she did an incredible job in the movie, and Travis Knight's a really interesting story because. Um, uh, it, it it's funny because I was with um, Mike DeSanto mm-hmm. in New Hampshire, um, you know, last week, mm-hmm. and I got a, actually a chance to speak with him quite a bit. And he was telling me like some stuff about Travis Knight, and I didn't know until last week that his dad is Phil Knight. Yeah, exactly, Nike. Yeah, the founder of Nike, and that his dad gave him three billion dollars, or that he had three billion dollars mm-hmm. of Nike stock, or something disgusting like that, and that he actually. You know, started doing commercials and 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 applying his money to sort of make more money, kind of like a Howard Hughes type of thing. Sure, to actually... he did Leica, the animation studio. Right, right. He did Coraline as well. Yeah, Cor- Coraline. Uh, yeah. They did a whole bunch of movies. So, so this is like a perfect parable of the sower situation where you get a bunch of beans and you actually know how to plant the beans to get more beans. So, look, I'm a big Travis Knight fan and I, I love his story. So... Yeah, I mean, if he's up for it, I'd pick him over Circus. Uh, yeah, no, he would be cool. Um, let's see what else. Oh, did you see? Have you been to the Alamo Draft House yet in L.A.? Are you planning to go visit that? So I've been to the one in uh, Austin, and I really, really like it. And I actually, that's where I saw the Hateful Eight for the first time. Oh, very cool. What, what was in Austin? So I'm a fan of the model. I've never been to the one in Hollywood. It though, just or, it just opened. I mean, it opened like last week time to the Tarantino film. I've been meaning to get down there and check it out, but uh, they did just announce that they're holding clowns-only screenings of It Too. Would you dare go oh, in wow. to, to a clowns-only screening? No, but we got to send Makuga to that. Uh, oh, definitely. <laughs> Def- we have to dress him up as a clown. And so, Oh, man, that would be so a, brilliant. Oh, God. They're doing a clowns-only screening? Is yeah. it open to the public? Can anybody go? Yeah, but they have to dress as a clown. Oh, we got to send Makuga in. into it. We got to send Makuga and, 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 and Christian, uh, uh, you know, R- Ruvacalba to that. Because someone's got to film it with, like, a phone. But are you serious? Are really doing yes. that? I, or, or just have Makuga hang out in the, in the lobby, you know, with all these people. <laughs> I think wow, I would, that's amazing. That that's amazing. Um, are there? Uh, did you see any? Okay, the Irishman trailer. Did you see that? I did. Okay, what did you think? Um, look, I'm very, very excited about that movie uh, because I, uh, Scorsese for me lately has been nothing but hits. I didn't love, uh, even though I thought it was a good movie. I didn't love the one um, uh, that takes place in feudal Japan with the missionaries. Yeah, Silence. Uh, Silence. I didn't love that one that much, but like. The Departed was so friggin' good. Wolf of Wall Street was so friggin' good that, you know, uh, I'm very excited about this. You know, um, he's never worked with Pacino before, so seeing, you know, Pacino in there is going to be fun. I didn't like Pacino in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I actually thought he was one of the weaker parts of the yeah, movie. He just didn't have anything to do. Yeah, they kind of wasted him. Yeah, it was weird, right? Like, like yeah. didn't really like that whole thing. Um, the whole de-aging thing isn't super obvious to me. They still all look like a bunch of old guys. Yeah. You know, um, I'm, back in the 90s, there was a Jack Nicholson movie about Hoffa. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, it was, I think it was Jack Nicholson and Danny DeVito. Yeah. Um, and I forget who directed it. Barry Levinson? No, not Levinson. I'm not 100% sure. Um, it, was, it wasn't but, Rob Reiner, was it? But it was one of those bigger directors back in the, in the 90s. Um, but anyway. DeVito. DeVito, DeVito did it himself. Uh, okay, good, good for him. But that movie, I didn't love that movie. So, like to me, the Jimmy Hoffa story 
isn't like something that I'm like super interested in and like I'm Googling I never pictured this this story though as a Jimmy Hoffa story. Okay. I mean, I guess they are sort of selling it like that. They are, they are. Um I just I, I thought it did a great job capturing the horror of this situation in this guy's life. Like this guy was a brutal murderer. And I think that's gonna be the trick is making us care like who who is the audience supposed to relate to and root for in this movie that's going to be the trick that Scorsese has to pull off because basically the whole movie is that they hire De Niro's character to go whack Jimmy Hoffa right I I think so yeah I mean it's a good premise yeah and second time right that um, De Niro is going to be playing an Irishman (laughs) sure uh, Jimmy Conway was was an Irishman right Uh or half Irish or whatever yeah he was Irish yeah 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 he was Irish and Goodfellas right Mm so so, I don't know. Uh, look, it's friggin'. I mean, it's Martin Scorsese, man. We're you know we're gonna be there as soon as we possibly can. Yeah, I think I think it was a really good trailer. I, I don't understand the people who are criticizing it or saying they were trying to hide the de aging thing. The de aging thing is just a gimmick to me. It's not why I'm there. Regardless of what age these guys are, they are some of the greatest actors who have ever breathed. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, and I can't wait to see them do their stuff with a master filmmaker is, like Scorsese. Is Michael Balaus uh, shooting it? Is it? No, no, I don't think so. I think it's somebody else. I think it's Rod. Rod. I think Michael Balaus is dead, actually. <laughs> I, I think know. he is dead. Fuck. Sorry about that. Um, I, I know you're a busy man. you got to go. We'll no, t- no, 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 no. We'll, I'm good. Oh, okay. I'm good. I'm good. We'll, I'm good. we'll wrap uh, – We'll wrap up your your part of it because, I mean, unless you saw any of these other trailers that I wanted to talk about, 1917, Mindhunter, Clean and Slim, anything like that? So 1917 – first of all, there is a question I want to ask you. But 1917 – so I'm a big Sam Mendes fan. I think American Beauty is one of the best films I've ever seen in my life. Definitely in my top ten. It's been in my top five before, but like my top ten changes every week. Okay. Um, But Sam Mendes to me is a really, really, really talented director. Um, and uh, I can't wait for this 1917 thing. I thought the trailer looked awesome. I thought it looked awesome too. Yeah, yeah. It, it looks just like a, an epic, exactly what the Oscar race needs this year. Those two young actors, I'm a fan of both of them, and, and it sounds like he's got a great supporting cast around him. Colin Firth, Benedict Cumberbatch, right? Um, yeah, that people, it looks sick. People were saying, I like, like uh, I saw some of the comments on the trailer that, that that it's a prequel to 1941. Are they referring no. to no, no, right? No, yeah, yeah, yeah. because nah. that's like the Spielberg comedy with with Belushi. Right. Yeah. No, there, there, there's no relation here. Okay. Um, okay. Hobbs and Shaw came out this week. You haven't seen it. I haven't. Seen you say it. you're not a fan of the Fast and Furious franchise. It's irrelevant to me. It's irrelevant to me. I mean, I I don't mind it. I don't like love it. I don't love it like it, the mission. It's the Mission Impossible franchise, which I think is the best active franchise going. But I really like the original Fast and Furious. Yeah, yeah and the then first one's cool. Every now and then, like Fast Five was really good. I liked uh, right. Furious Seven or whatever the hell it was. Last one I didn't really care for. This was fun though. You, so you you have no plans to see it. You could give a shit about the Rock and Jason Statham. <laughs> I could give look, and it's terrible for me to say that because Dwayne Johnson has been one of the most vocal supporters of Collider. And, 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 and I mean that. Out of any celebrity that we deal with, oh yeah, he Dwayne's the man. We have a few of them that are really like supportive of Collider, mm-hmm. and Dwayne Johnson is one of them. You know, he tweets us, he retweets us. I mean, the guy is on board with supporting us, so I want to support him. So um, the movie, I've heard from everybody that it's great, that it's a lot it's of fun. fun. It's a lot of fun, but it's you know, I'm not gonna sit here and lie. Like I myself don't go and see movies like Hobbs and Shaw. That, and that's fine. Yeah. I don't think The Rock's going to come and beat you up. And if he does, I'll, I will try to stop him or I'll throw Rogan. Look, and, and, and you know, I'm from Miami, so I, I've been watching Dwayne Johnson play since he was a, a Miami Hurricane uh-huh. playing on the defensive line. So, you know, uh, you know, I'm a fan. I'm well, a big, him big him fan. And stay them, Get Shorty. He was amazing in Get Shorty. They do their thing. Yeah. Uh, oh, Be Cool, you mean. Be Cool, right? Be Cool, Be Cool. Yeah, I'm sorry. He, the sequel, he yeah. was really good in that. Um, him and Statham do their thing in Hobbs and Shaw. The movie is obviously over the top. These movies are ridiculous. This movie. Uh, is as ridiculous as any of the others. Um, Vanessa Kirby is a nice little addition, but you know, not that she gets that much to do here. She's kind of just following around the guys for the most part. But I liked her uh, as, as Jason Statham's sister and Idris Elba, cool, cool villain. I mean, he's. I mean, Idris Elba is the king. 
Uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see who who they reveal it as this this uh, master villain in this Hobbs and Shaw universe. Because yeah. I think if they do a good job of setting that up, there's some fun cameos in this one. Although to me, there's like God, there must be three or four post credit sequences here with with one of the cameos. So I'm not going to say who that is. Um, but what do you make of all these post credit sequences? Are you sick of them? Are you sick of having to sit through a movie's credits that are like ten minutes long these days just for like some stupid little scene? Well, so I loved um, the Spider-Man Far From Home post-credit sequence. Dude, th- that's an essential one, though. That's like that, – that has real plot and story to it. Yeah. The ones in this one, I, I didn't feel like that was applicable. I mean, I didn't see the ones in this one. But right. I heard that I missed one in Once Upon a Time in, um, in Hollywood. Oh, there's a little like Red Apple – the commercial, yeah. There's yeah. a Red Apple commercial. It suck, cause like, and it's fun. The whole movie, I was looking for the Red Apple. I was like, where's, where's the Red Apple? Where's the Red Apple? And there is one scene where you see Brad Pitt with a Red Apple box of cigarettes. Right. Um, but I didn't see the commercial at and, the end. I'm pissed off And about it's like, it. I liked that. Okay. But So do you feel that, like your viewing was incomplete because you missed I this? I do. I do. Which right. sucks. Uh, so, listen, it's fun, I, but it's also like, it, did Tarantino feel some kind of pressure to do this? I don't know it's because the first that's one what everybody's right? doing, right? Exactly. It's not it's not Tarantino-ish to me. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, it's like this modern invention. The, what, the what was it? I, I mean, this is a major spoiler, I guess. But I, I can't I can't say okay, with fine, the Hobbs fine. and Shot because it's too big of no, a spoiler. No, no, no. I'm saying with with the Tarantino one, there was a commercial. It's a Red Apple commercial. It's a Red Apple. He's, commercial. he's smoking the cigarettes. He doesn't like his standee. He's like, you know, who who you who decided to use this photo? I got a double chin. He knocks it over. It's just like a little humorous beat. <laughs> right, right. Um, Fuck, I'm going to go back and see the movie again just to watch it. Um, now it's time, uh, before we, we wrap the show up, because I do have a special treat at the very end of this episode, which I'll get to in a second. It's going uh, it's gonna, to it's gonna be time for our rumor of the week. Like I'm awesome. dropping a rumor. Guys, I've lost a lot of stories this week. That's what happens when you go chasing stories. You get beat. Um, so this one, I'm just going to let the cat out of the bag right now on this podcast. The Safdie brothers... Who are doing? Uh, they did good time with Robert Pattinson. Did you see that one more? No, no. They have uncut gems coming out this fall with Adam Sandler, which is supposed to be really good. It's a crime drama set in the Diamond District. Uh, they are have they have been developing a remake of Forty Eight Hours at A twenty four with Gerard Carmichael co writing. Um, you know, now that uh, this Uncut Gems movie is getting ready to make its its festival debut, you know, it, it's pretty much wrapped. Uh, they are turning their attention to casting on Forty Eight Hours, and I am told that offers are currently out to Joaquin Phoenix and Lakeith Stanfield replacing wow. Nick Nolte and Eddie Murphy. Wow! Let's talk about Joaquin first. Do, do you think he will say yes I to this project? Would you, if no. you were Joaquin, you would you do this? I, no, no. Because because why? Because Forty Eight Hours is a classic. Because because Joaquin Phoenix, it's one thing to play the Joker. It's like playing Othello or playing Macbeth or playing Hamlet. There's like a rite of passage, you mm-hmm. know, for a Hollywood actor to be the one to play the Joker. That's a totally different thing. To play Nick Nolte's character in in, in Forty Eight Hours, and look, I like Forty Eight Hours. It was in like you know that wave of Don Simpson movies. Even though I don't believe it's a Don Simpson it movie, it was like the first buddy comedy, really. Yeah, it's a, it's a great movie, and, and Eddie Murphy is a king in it, and, and Nolte and Murphy are, are spectacular chemistry. I can see them doing a remake of it. I can't see that with Eddie Murphy. I'm, I'm sorry, with Joaquin. With, with, with Joaquin as, the Sur, as the surly Nolte type. So nah. I, I'd heard that they'd been looking at Matt Damon before Joaquin. I mean, it's going to be. I don't see him either. No. I mean, who, who would you see as like the, the, the grumpy cop? Um, somebody like like um, um, like my boy. Um, uh, I, I, I'm having amnesia right now, but uh, Russell Crowe. You know, like a Russell oh. Crowe type, you know, he's kind of like a burly guy. And right. Like, you it's know, a little get, nice guys-ish. It's a little nice guys Yeah, but right. But it's like, first of all, you're absolutely right. It's very nice guys-ish. And maybe that's why it's in my head. But like somebody like that, like maybe, um, you know, maybe this guy from uh, Stranger Things is kind of having a moment. Um, oh, David Harbour? Yeah. David, David Harbour actually wouldn't be bad. Yeah, like, a David, bad. Har- like, like a David Harbour type who's like a big guy but also could be funny. I just uh, – you know, the idea of Joaquin playing this surly cop, uh, I, I do like that for his career. Uh, and I think that the Safties are really hot. And if Uncut Gems works, but it, which I've an heard – It's a production? Yeah. Yeah. Which is weird to me. Because I know it, it doesn't seem like they'd be making a for, like forty eight hours, but I don't know. Yeah, 
managed to get the rights or something. Um, the, but yeah, I, I just I have high hopes for Uncut Gems and Forty Eight Hours could be really cool. Like Keith Stanfield, though, do you think? Obviously, those are some huge shoes to fill. Eddie Murphy, that's a star making performance in Forty Eight Hours. Yeah. Uh, do you think? You don't really know Lakeith's uh, work, do you? I don't. I don't. Okay. Like you know, we talked in the pre-production a little bit, like um, you know, his role in Get Out, and and I do remember him in that, but I'm not super familiar with his work. Yeah, I, I don't think of him as like big and loud and and, uh, and hilarious like Eddie Murphy. Um, so it may be a strange fit in that regard, but I think he is one of the best young black actors out there. Uh, so you know, m- maybe uh, the Safties will he'll, they'll ri- he'll rise to the occasion for what them. He the is Safties part of Uncut done? Gems. Uh, they've done a couple of just like really low budget New York scuzzy indie movies. They did a heroin heroin one with Caleb Landry Jones, uh, but for the most part, it's the Pattinson movie. Good time. Okay, okay, okay. Um, uh, I think we're coming basically to the end of our show. Is there anything that you wanted to discuss? Yeah, there's one thing I want to throw out at you. Go okay, ahead. Okay, so this movie, uh, Tenant, Tenant. Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay, okay. The, the Christopher Nolan movie with Robert Pattinson in it. Yep. Okay. Um. This has nothing to do did, – did Christopher Nolan direct that weird Mercedes-Benz commercial? I have no idea. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> I haven't heard that. Why? Um, because like, last night I was like looking through the web for, for info about this Tenet movie. And I believe it was Stephen Weintraub, our very own Stephen Weintraub, posted some link that now I, I, I see was a troll to get people like me on a fucking rabbit hole to try to find out about this Nolan movie. Uh-huh. And it led me to a commercial – that was very well shot. That was about um, Mercedes Benz, okay, and about the woman who was one of the founders of Mercedes Benz, uh, taking this long uh, cross country road trip on one of the very first automobiles ever made. Huh. And she gets to some town in the middle of nowhere and asks the pharmacist for some chemicals so that she could power her combustion engine. And in th- the whole time I'm watching this, I'm like, is this friggin' Tenet? But now I realize that it was just Steve Weintraub trolling me. And I'm like, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Fine. I think you're getting Rick, Rick rolled. <laughs> <laughs> I've definitely seen that from a few people. Uh, actually, yeah. what happens is it's like, come, you know, check check out the, the Nolan teaser before Warner Brothers pulls it offline. Right, and right, click right. On That's it, exactly and it. And it's the Cats teaser. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I keep getting the Cats trailer. Um, before I tell you guys about our, our uh, my special treat here, I'm just going to run down uh, some quick stuff. Um, Jason Momoa signed on to a Netflix revenge movie called Sweet Girl this week. Wayne Fetterman guest starring on Silicon Valley, the final season. It's a key role. Jason Clark joining HBO's Showtime as Jerry West. That was a kind of interesting casting. James Wan returning to New Line to do another horror movie. Speaking of horror, Everardo Gout coming in to do a new Purge movie for Blumhouse. Can, can I stop you for go a ahead. second there? Go, go. Wan? I mean, that's, a big, that's big news. Yeah, I mean, I didn't really, you know, have much to say about it because I don't know what the movie's about. Okay, so, we don't know anything about it. We just right, know he's doing just, a horror he's, movie. Exactly. Man, he is, he is by far, in my opinion, the best horror director out there right now. Um, yeah, I, I like James, James Wan. 1917 and Irishman, we talked about those trailers, but also check out the trailer for The Lighthouse, the Robert Pattinson, Willem Dafoe movie from the director of The Witch. That looked crazy. The Hunt, Damon Lindelof's Blumhouse movie, looks awesome. Lupita Nyong'o's trailer, Little Monsters, the zombie, zombie comedy with uh, Josh Gad. And the Mindhunter trailer looks amazing. Season two, oh, oh my, my God. God. Dude, that's how like three times. I can't wait. And check I saw out my it three times. Yeah, check out my interview on the site with uh, John Douglas, who wrote the book Mind. Hunter. He is the actual mine hunter. I got to talk to him for 45 minutes a couple weeks ago. That interview went up on Collider this week, so be sure to check that out. Um, just just on the mine hunter trailer, really yeah. quick. Um, there's this like ominous presence in the trailer that is the BTK killer, right? Yes. Obviously. Yeah, yeah. There's What's a lot the, of BTK. That's the thing. I've read all the books this summer, so I recognized every little aspect of every crime. Because last season, if you guys haven't seen Mindhunter Season 1, stop what you're doing right now and go watch it. It is friggin' awesome. And the BTK killer is pretty much in, like, every other episode, but he's, like, only dropped in at the very end. You, like, like you see him, like, right. get out of a car. Oh, it's or you brilliant see him the way that they introduce house. him. Absolutely awesome, and season two is going to be them trying to hunt him, right? It's it's that I think there's a few different elements. It's mostly the Atlanta child murders, um, but yeah, there's definitely more BTK. You're going to see Charles Manson. You're going to see David Berkowitz, the son of Sam. I love the actress. And it's the same Charles Manson from uh, from Tar- yeah, exactly from Tarantino's yeah, movie, which, Damon which, Harriman, which is awesome. So if you feel like you didn't get enough of him 
Uh, he was also great in Justified. Um, in uh, Once Upon a Time, you get to see him as Manson here. It's yep. pretty awesome. Uh, in other news, the Chadwick Boseman movie, 21 Bridges, has been delayed once again by STX. There's some rumors that that company's having some financial troubles right now. Uh, we're going to get a new Tom York song in Ed Norton's Motherless Brooklyn, which is going to be closing out the New York Film Festival, which also added The Irishman and Noah Baumbach's Marriage Story this week. Uh, I've been watching The Boys. Terrific show. If you're not uh, watching The Boys on Amazon, get on. That. I haven't seen it yet. It's crazy. I have finished watching uh, the the Russell Crowe Roger Ailes series, The Loudest Voice, last night. That's amazing. I hope that they remember him next year, come Emmy time. And I finished reading. Did, what? did you see the the uh, Tom York uh, Netflix movie? I think. Paul yes. Thomas yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. Was it Paul Thomas? It Anderson? was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. I liked it. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I finished reading Chuck Klosterman's new book, Reason in Captivity. It's a sh- uh, book of short stories. So uh, they, they were all pretty interesting. All right, guys. That's going to do it uh, for us. At the end of the show, though, so this is the special treat I've been talking about. Okay. Six years ago, guys, I uh, was kind enough to be invited on a set visit to a Joe, Joe Dante movie called Burying the X uh, by my friend Frankie Lindquist, who was producing it. And... Uh, I forget which outlet I was with at the time. It may have been the rap. I may have been fired shortly thereafter. Who knows? But the point is, is that none of my interviews from this set visit ever ran. And one of the people that I interviewed during that set visit was Anton Yelkin, uh, who, who passed uh, three years later. And this weekend uh, marks the release of Love Antosha, which is a documentary about Anton Yelkin. I have cried every time I've seen the trailer. I still have not seen the movie myself. Um, but I can't wait to see it this weekend. I really loved Anton Yelkin. I think he was a fantastic actor, and and you know we were robbed of so many uh, more movies with him. And so I wanted to air this interview with him that has never before been published. Never before I've never shared it with anybody. It's only seven minutes long, um, so we're going to tack it on at the end. And I hope you'll listen to it and, and just you know give a thought to Anton and maybe check out that documentary this weekend because I think he was a really special talent. And uh, yeah, we miss him. Yeah, yeah. That sounds awesome. All right. So, guys, take a li- listen to that, and uh, and then we'll be back to wrap up the show. Excuse me. You have a good Thanksgiving? I started yeah, off with this. How's yours? It's good. It's good. Did you stay here locally or get out of yeah, town? Yeah. No, I stayed Okay. Cool. Cool. So, um, bearing the X, tell me how you first kind of got involved, uh, you know, when they sent you the script, all that kind of good stuff. Uh, basically, I just read it, and I just thought it was really, really uh, great that Joe is directing it, you know, that that's what made me more than anything want to do it, you know, uh, being a fan of his films, and I mean, just, uh, you know, I met with Joe, we sat down and talked, and I enjoyed talking to him so much because, I mean, you know, he's like a film historian, you know, and so for someone that's a budding wannabe film historian, it's a pretty, pretty rare opportunity to do that, and, uh, yeah, I just I just really wanted to look at Joe, you know, because he's legendary, and um, that was basically got me. And I really appreciated this sort of. I mean, honestly, one of the things that made me want to do the movie other than Joe was that there was a scene taking place outside the New Beverly. Mm-hmm. I love the New Beverly, <laughs> and I always wanted to be around. So, uh, you know, I just felt like the script was really smart in how self-conscious it was, and how self-reflexive, and how aware of its its own genre it was, and. I appreciate that about films. I think uh, that that's that's vital to keep films sort of to keep the ideology of films in check. You know, um, are, are you a fan of this kind of sort of genre hybrid, like a horror comedy, something? Yeah, that's... I mean, I love. I mean, I love Joe's films. Mm-hmm. You know, and then I lo- also love like Night of the Creeps, and, mm-hmm. uh, and then uh, yeah, I mean, I. I, I I, I really love all the 80s, you know, the sort of self-reflexive genre hybrids that they were making in the 80s. You know, like Fright Night was one. Sure. That was really smart. So, yeah, no, I do okay. enjoy it. What's it like being kind of a love triangle between uh, Ashley and, and Alexandra? It's I know great. a lot of guys could be envious. awesome, <laughs> and, and, you know, when she turns into a zombie, it gets real kinky, real fun. So, uh, yeah, it's great. I mean, they're, they're lovely and... Um, I'm really enjoying it. Have you been brushing up on your zombie movies at all? You I have, actually. Well, I've been brushing up mostly because uh, I'm uh, kind of a chicken when it comes to horror. Okay. So I've been watching a lot of, uh, actually, classic horror. Like all the classic Universal pictures. I've been 
brushing up on like German expressionist films that were horror films that I'd seen and rewatching them and getting to enjoy them again because that you know with the sort of the um, you know guys like Carl Freund coming to work for Universal like they're, they're so intimately connected and thematically sometimes so I've been doing that and then I've been going I've been going sort of by decade just being around you know, so awesome because he you know he uh I'll, I'll say, oh, I watched this. And you're like, well, you should watch this, this, and this. You know, that's great. <laughs> Do you have any aspirations to direct or produce? I'd like to direct, yeah. So you, have you, you've been kind of taking notes from Joe or, or that yeah, kind of I thing? Yeah, I, uh, I made a little short, like a 25-minute short. It's sort of a fiction documentary hybrid. And I've been fiddling with it for like three years at this point. Like It took me like two years to get all of the... You know, all of the uh, footage. I got like 30 hours of footage and stuff. And I've been cutting it for like a year and a half. Um, what's it been like working with these kind of young producers? Oh, just watching that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, it's been good. You know, I feel like uh, what uh, what's interesting that I'm really young, you know, but I'm, uh, I'm not really plugged into how these... Because the, the system is changing so radically in terms of promotion and distribution as well, but especially promotion, you know, and building uh, the value of a film and interest of a film, social media-wise, you know, and I'm tuned out of that, so it's really fascinating for me to see how that's been a part of this film's sort of building interest for this film, and I think that has a lot to do with the fact that the production team is, they're really tuned into that thing. Do your representatives encourage you to get more involved with social media to so sort of cultivate that fan no, base? No, no, I know uh, they have. I'm sure, you know, I, I've recently in the last, you know, six months or so, for some reason, become extremely aware of that. But I don't, I just, you know, I have a Tumblr that I put my photographs on. Mm-hmm. And when I look at it, I like to think that it's kind of like a film and still images, and it creates sort of universe. And it's kind of like making a film, but I don't. I don't really want to have any social media because it becomes a sort of perf- identity performance and even having a Tumblr is an identity performance. Everything is a, a performance, you know, and so I, I hesitate to create like a, I don't know, it's just an odd thing. It's like in, in an age where every identity is a performance and kind of an ideology or represents some sort of ideology, I worry about putting that out too much and I worry but what, what is the effect of the ideology that I'm propagating by turning, by giving an extra performance that's a, a me, you know what I mean? No, it's good to so, retain so, a little mystery as yeah, a leading man. I just feel like, you know, I was reading about Lon Chaney and that wonderful thing that Lon Chaney said about that there is no Lon Chaney <laughs> other than the characters, and I just think that's a really great thing. You know, I think uh, that's really important. I think you create characters, and if you make other shit, I understand that you have a band or you make films you take photographs that's great you know but I feel like I don't know maybe I'm wrong maybe you talk to me a year from now and I'll have like a Twitter and a Instagram or whatever what's, what's your attitude on sort of crowdfunding and, and I think that's I think it's I think it's I think it's really important because I think that there are many the technology you know when I worked on like crazy it made me really realize that the technology is there for people to make films, you know? And the distribution is changing, the technology is changing to such an extent that you can literally make a film pretty much on anything. Pretty decent quality. And this freedom of funding, and, and it, of course it gets it gets controlled by, you know, certain projects have more interest than others, yada, yada, yada. But the basic idea of that freedom, you now are open to people investing in what they want to see is really fundamental and there's something very important you know I think of course it gets perverted and convoluted by all sorts of things as everything does but I think that core thing of I want to see this film I believe in this film I don't care who this person is I like their idea and so I want to give them money so they can make this film I think is a wonderful thing Thank you very much again. Yeah, of course, man. You were in House of D, right? Yeah. yeah. That's where we met a very long time ago. It's good good to see see you again. Good luck with with the movie. All right, that was Anton Yelkin talking about burying the X. Again, great to just you know hear his voice again. Um, 
you know, ter- terrible what happened to him. Anyways, uh, that is going to do it for the second episode of the Snyder Cut, guys. Make sure to share this episode with your friends. There's a lot of juicy information in there. Feel free to write up some articles. Just make sure to credit Collider. You can find this uh, podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, a whole bunch of other places. You can follow me on Twitter at at TheInsider, on Instagram, on Cameo. And Mark Fernandez, where can they find you? It's at Mark Fernandez. All right. And I'm not on Cameo yet. (laughs) We'll, we'll, We'll get him there, folks. We'll get him there. Thank you for listening and have a great weekend. It's that little chico pitbull, Mr. 305, better said Mr. Worldwide. And I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, From Negative to Positive, brought to you by my friends over at State Farm. I believe that to have success, you got to play the game so that the game doesn't play you. You know, the biggest risk you take is not taking one. It's very important that you make sure that you make the most out of your money, especially when it comes to insurance. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates. They have great agents standing by helping you personalize your coverage. All this is backed up by award-winning, easy-to-use technology. It's a great price with an even greater service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Why do millions of Americans choose to sleep on Bolin Branch sheets? Is it the 100% organic cotton? Is it that they get softer and softer over time? Customers can't stop raving about these sheets, and there's no better time to try them for yourself or give them to someone you love. Right now, Bolin Branch is offering their best deals of the year, and you can get their incredibly soft sheets at incredibly low prices. Just go to BolinBranch.com to shop their best deals today. That's B-O-L-L and Branch.com today. See site for details.